Section 23 of The Essence of Christianity by Ludwig Feuerbach. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Essence of Christianity by Ludwig Feuerbach. Translated from the German by Marion Evans. Chapter 18. The Christian Heaven, or Personal Immortality. Part 2. Where the future life is really believed in, where it is a certain life, there, precisely because it is certain, it is also definite. If I know not now what and how I shall be, if there is an essential, absolute difference between my future and my present, neither shall I then know what and how I was before. The unity of consciousness is at an end. Personal identity is abolished. Another being will appear in my place, and thus my future existence is not, in fact, distinguished from non-existence. If, on the other hand, there is no essential difference, the future is to me an object that may be defined and known. And so it is, in reality, I am the abiding subject under changing conditions. I am the substance which connects the present and the future into a unity. How then can the future be obscured to me? On the contrary, the life of this world is the dark, incomprehensible life which only becomes clear through the future life. Here I am in disguise, there the mask will fall. There I shall be as I am in truth. Hence the position that there indeed is another, a heavenly life, but that what and how it is must here remain inscrutable, is only an invention of religious skepticism, which, being entirely alien to the religious sentiment, proceeds upon a total misconception of religion. That which irreligious religious reflection converts into a known image of an unknown yet certain thing, is originally in the primitive true sense of religion not an image, but the thing itself. Unbelief, in the garb of belief, doubts the existence of the thing, but it is too shallow or cowardly directly to call it in question. It only expresses doubt of the image or conception, i.e. declares the image to be only an image. But the untruth and hollowness of this skepticism has been already made evident historically. Where it is once doubted that the images of immortality are real, that it is possible to exist as faith conceives, for example, without a material real body and without difference of sex, there the future existence in general is soon a matter of doubt. With the image falls the thing, simply because the image is the thing itself. The belief in heaven, or in a future life in general, rests on a mental judgment. It expresses praise and blame. It selects a wreath from the floor of this world, and this critical, 
florilegium is heaven that which man thinks beautiful good agreeable is for him what alone ought to be but that which he thinks bad odious disagreeable is what ought not to be and hence since it nevertheless exists it is condemned to destruction it is regarded as a negation where life is not in contradiction with a feeling an imagination an idea and where this feeling this idea is not held authoritative and absolute the belief in another and a heavenly life does not arise the future life is nothing else than life in unison with the feeling with the idea which the present life contradicts the whole import of the future life is the abolition of this discordance and the realization of a state which corresponds to the feelings in which man is in unison with himself an unknown unimagined future is a ridiculous chimera the other world is nothing more than the reality of a known idea the satisfaction of a conscious desire the fulfillment of a wish it is only the removal of limits which here oppose themselves to the realization of the idea where would be the consolation where the significance of a future life if it were midnight darkness to me no from yonder world there streams upon me with the splendor of virgin gold what here shines only with the dimness of unrefined ore the future world has no other significance no other basis of its existence than the separation of the metal from the admixture of foreign elements the separation of the good from the bad of the pleasant from the unpleasant of the praiseworthy from the blamable the future world is the bridal in which man concludes his union with his beloved long has he loved his bride long has he yearned after her but external relations hard reality have stood in the way of his union to her when the wedding takes place his beloved one does not become a different being else how could he so ardently long for her she only becomes his own for an object of yearning and affectionate desire she becomes an object of actual possession it is true that here below the other world is only an image a conception still it is not the image of a remote unknown thing but a portrait of that which man loves and prefers before all else what man loves is his soul the heathens enclosed the ashes of the beloved dead in an urn with the christian the heavenly future is the mausoleum in which he enshrines his soul in order to comprehend a particular faith or religion in general it is necessary to consider religion in its rudimentary stages in its lowest rudest condition religion must not only be traced in an ascending line but surveyed in the entire course of its existence it is requisite to regard the various earlier religions as present in the absolute religion 
and not as left behind it in the past, in order correctly to appreciate and comprehend the absolute religion as well as the others. The most frightful aberrations, the wildest excesses of the religious consciousness, often afford the profoundest insight into the mysteries of the absolute religion. Ideas, seemingly the rudest, are often only the most childlike, innocent, and true. This observation applies to the conceptions of a future life. The savage, whose consciousness does not extend beyond his own country, whose entire being is a growth of its soil, takes his country with him into the other world, either leaving nature as it is, or improving it, and so overcoming in the idea of the other life the difficulties he experiences in this. In this limitation of uncultivated tribes, there is a striking trait. With them, the future expresses nothing else than homesickness. Death separates man from his kindred, from his people, from his country. But the man who has not extended his consciousness cannot endure this separation. He must come back again to his native land. The Negroes in the West Indies kill themselves that they might come to life again in their fatherland. And, according to Ossian's conception, the spirits of those who die in a strange land float back towards their birthplace. This limitation is the direct opposite of imaginative spiritualism, which makes man a vagabond who, indifferent even to the earth, roams from star to star, and certainly there lies a real truth at its foundation. Man is what he is through nature, however much may belong to his spontaneity, for even his spontaneity has its foundation in nature, of which his particular character is only an expression. Be thankful to nature. Man cannot be separated from it. The German, whose God is spontaneity, owes his character to nature just as much as the Oriental. To find fault with Indian art, with Indian religion and philosophy, is to find fault with Indian nature. You complain of the reviewer who tears a passage in your works from the context that he may hand it over to ridicule. Why are you yourself guilty of that which you blame in others? Why do you tear the Indian religion from its connection? in which it is just as reasonable as your absolute religion. Faith in a future world, in a life after death, is therefore with savage tribes essentially nothing more than direct faith in the present life, immediate unbroken faith in this life. For them, their actual life, even with its local limitations, has all, has absolute value. They cannot abstract from it, they cannot conceive its being broken off, i.e., they believe directly in the infinitude, the perpetuity of this life. Only when the belief in immortality becomes a critical belief, when a distinction is made between what is to be left behind here and what is in reserve there, between what here passes away and what there is to abide, does the belief 
in life after death form itself into the belief in another life. But this criticism, this distinction, is applied to the spiritual life also. Thus the Christians distinguish between the natural and the Christian life, the sensual or worldly, and the spiritual or holy life. The heavenly life is no other than that which is already here below distinguished from the merely natural life, though still tainted with it. That which the Christian excludes from himself now, for example the sexual life, is excluded from the future. The only distinction is that he is there free from that which he here wishes to be free from, and seeks to rid himself of by the will, by devotion, and by bodily mortification. Hence this life is, for the Christians, a life of torment and pain, because he is here still beset by a hostile power, and has to struggle with the lusts of the flesh and the assaults of the devil. The faith of cultured nations is therefore distinguished from that of the uncultured in the same way that culture in general is distinguished from inculture, namely that the faith of culture is a discriminating, critical, abstract faith. A distinction implies a judgment. But where there is a judgment, there arises the distinction between positive and negative. The faith of savage tribes is a faith without judgment. Culture, on the contrary, judges. To the cultured man, only cultured life is the true life. To the Christian, only the Christian life. The rude child of nature steps into the other life just as he is, without ceremony. The other world is his natural nakedness. The cultivated man, on the contrary, objects to the idea of such an unbridled life after death, because even here he objects to the unrestricted life of nature. Faith in a future life is therefore only faith in the true life of the present. The essential elements of this life are also the essential elements of the other. Accordingly, faith in a future life is not faith in another unknown life, but in the truth and infinitude, and consequently in the perpetuity of that life which already here below is regarded as authentic life. As God is nothing else than the nature of man purified from that which to the human individual appears, whether in feeling or thought, a limitation, an evil, so the future life is nothing else than the present life, freed from that which appears a limitation or an evil. The more definitely and profoundly the individual is conscious of the limit as a limit, of the evil as an evil, the more definite and profound is his conviction of the future life, where these limits disappear. The future life is the feeling, the conception of freedom from those limits which here circumscribe the feeling of self, the existence of the individual. The only difference between the course of religion and that of the natural or rational man is that the 
end which the latter arrives at by a straight line, the former only attains by describing a curved line, a circle. The natural man remains at home because he finds it agreeable, because he is perfectly satisfied. Religion, which commences with a discontent, a disunion, forsakes its home and travels far, but only to feel the more vividly in the distance the happiness of home. In religion man separates himself from himself, but only always to return to the same point from which he set out. Man negatives himself but only to posit himself again, and that in a glorified form. He negatives this life, but only in the end to posit it again in the future life. The future life is this life once lost, but found again, and radiant with all the more brightness for the joy of recovery. The religious man renounces the joys of this world, but only that he may win in return the joys of heaven. Or rather, he renounces them because he is already in the ideal possession of heavenly joys. And the joys of heaven are the same as those on earth, only that they are freed from the limits and contrarieties of this life. Religion thus arrives, though by a circuit, at the very goal, the goal of joy, towards which the natural man hastens in a direct line. To live in images or symbols is the essence of religion. Religion sacrifices the thing itself to the image. The future life is the present in the mirror of the imagination. The enrapturing image is, in the sense of religion, the true type of earthly life, real life, only a glimmer of that ideal, imaginary life. The future life is the present, embellished, contemplated through the imagination, purified from all gross matter, or, positively expressed, it is the beauteous present intensified. Embellishment Emendation presupposes blame, dissatisfaction. But the dissatisfaction is only superficial. I do not deny the thing to be of value. Just as it is, however, it does not please me. I deny only the modification, not the substance. Otherwise, I should urge annihilation. A house which absolutely displeases me, I cause to be pulled down, not to be embellished. To the believer in a future life, joy is agreeable. Who can fail to be conscious that joy is something positive? But it is disagreeable to him that here joy is followed by opposite sensations, that it is transitory. Hence he places joy in the future life also, but as eternal, uninterrupted, divine joy. And the future life is therefore called the world of joy. Such as he here conceives it in God. For God is nothing but eternal, uninterrupted joy, posited as a subject. 
individuality or personality is agreeable to him, but only as unencumbered by objective forces. Hence, he includes individuality also, but pure, absolutely subjective individuality. Light pleases him, but not gravitation, because this appears a limitation of the individual. Not night, because in it man is subjected to nature. In the other world there is light, but no weight. No night, pure, unobstructed light. As man in his utmost remoteness from himself, in God, always returns upon himself, always revolves round himself, so in his utmost remoteness from the world, he always at last comes back to it. The more extra and superhuman God appears at the commencement, the more human does he show himself to be in the subsequent course of things, or at the close. And just so, the more supernatural the heavenly life looks in the beginning, or at a distance, the more clearly does it, in the end, or when viewed closely, exhibit its identity with the natural life, an identity which at last extends even to the flesh, even to the body. In the first instance, the mind is occupied with the separation of the soul from the body. As in the conception of God, the mind is first occupied with the separation of the essence from the individual. The individual dies a spiritual death. The dead body which remains behind is the human individual. The soul which has departed from it is God. But the separation of the soul from the body, of the essence from the individual, of God from man, must be abolished again. Every separation of beings, essentially allied, is painful. The soul yearns after its lost half, after its body. As God, the departed soul, yearns after the real man. As therefore God becomes a man again, so the soul returns to its body, and the perfect identity of this world and the other is now restored. It is true that this new body is a bright, glorified, miraculous body, but, and this is the main point, it is another and yet the same body, as God is another being than man, and yet the same. Here we come again to the idea of miracle, which unites contradictions. The supernatural body is a body constructed by the imagination, for which very reason it is adequate to the feelings of man, an unburdensome, purely subjective body. Faith in the future life is nothing else than faith in the truth of the imagination, as faith in God is faith in the truth and infinity of human feeling. Or, as faith in God is only faith in the abstract nature of man, so faith in the heavenly life is only faith in the abstract earthly life. But the sum of the future life is happiness, the everlasting bliss of personality, which is here limited 
and circumscribed by nature. Faith in the future life is therefore faith in the freedom of subjectivity from the limits of nature. It is faith in the eternity and infinitude of personality, and not of personality viewed in relation to the idea of the species in which it forever unfolds itself in new individuals, but of personality as belonging to already existing individuals. Consequently, it is the faith of man in himself. But faith in the kingdom of heaven is one with faith in God. The content of both ideas is the same. God is pure absolute subjectivity released from all natural limits. He is what individuals ought to be and will be. Faith in God is therefore the faith of man in the infinitude and truth of his own nature. The divine being is the subjective human being in his absolute freedom and unlimitedness. Our most essential task is now fulfilled. We have reduced the supermundane, supernatural, and superhuman nature of God to the elements of human nature as its fundamental elements. Our process of analysis has brought us again to the position with which we set out, the beginning, middle, and end of religion is man. End of section 23